Blog Talk Radio. Well, good evening and welcome once again to Madam Perry Salon, the podcast that loves you. I am your hostess, your groove mistress, and your spiritual advisor, Madam Perry. But you can call me JP, Jen, Jennifer, Perry. I don't care. I'm just glad to have you here. And thanks to everyone um, who's been leaving reviews on Apple iTunes, Stitcher. I'm also on Spotify now. And let's see, probably a lot of other um, platforms that I find now and then it'll probably even turn a buck off me that I don't even know about. But um, thank you, though, for the nice comments and for the big spike in, in listeners and downloads. I really do appreciate that. That's uh, that's how I keep bringing so many fantastic people to you, and like we've been having and like we've got coming up and like we've got tonight. Now, uh, what was it? Last week we had very funny man Mike Kaplan. Oh, my God, he's got a new album out it's called AKA, and as he said, it's been submitted to be considered for a nomination to the Grammys. But I think Mike Kaplan is so funny, It uh, I think that's pretty much a, a, a shoe-in. And let's see, who else? We have Michael DeBars, excuse me, the Marquis Michael Philip DeBars. And uh, some of you know him from, you listen to him on Little Stevens Underground Radio in the mornings. And also, he plays Murdoch in the show MacGyver. Um, but there's a new documentary out about Michael DeBar, and it's called Who Do You Want Me To Be? Which I thought was because he was an actor. But it's also because he and songwriter Holly Knight co-wrote the song Obsession, the one that was done by Anna Motion. Uh, who do you want me to be to make you sleep with me? So that was also uh, Michael Daybar. But if you haven't watched that documentary yet, do. He's got quite a life, but he's quite a funny man, too. Uh, he was very nice. He was a lot of fun to have on here. And let's see, who else is coming soon? Um, I am just, uh, let's see, what do we got? Oh, Arden Marine. Um a comic. She's got a book called Little Miss Little Compton, and she was on Mad TV and lots of other stuff. I think she worked for Second City, and so Arden Marine's going to be here soon. I am thrilled about that. And also, yes, if you saw it on Instagram, people have messaged me. I do have the Madam Perry Salon pen and <laughs> lightsaber sets. The lightsabers come in glowing red, green, and blue. So if you want one, just message me on Facebook or on uh, Instagram or Twitter or something, and we'll uh, so you can get your own lightsaber and pen set. So anyway, um, listen, this is one of my favorite, favorite shows it's going to be for now and for always. This is somebody I've wanted to have on the show for a very long time and somebody I've been a fan of since I think probably around two, gosh, getting close, maybe 18 years now. Um, now, if you're listening live on October the 1st, which is Thursday, 
I'm going to have to tell you that this show was pre-recorded, so you won't be able to call in. But maybe if, if uh, she has a good time, she'll come back, and you can call in and talk to her. Anyway, uh, my guest tonight, she's a New York Times best-selling author of nine memoirs and five adult novels and one YA book. She sold well over a million books, has been on the Today Show, Joy Behar, Fox News Live, and uh, her story began after a corporate layoff in 2001 when everything was going downhill. Her life changed dramatically, uh, going from uh, fancy spas and designer purses to uh, the no-car unemployment line and began writing a blog about it. And this woman's so funny that uh, first the blog became book, a book, and then another book and another. The first one was Bitter as the New Black, and it is still one of my favorite books. And if you've read it, you already know. But anyway, I am just, this is a dream come true. I am thrilled to welcome here to the Genie Bottle for her very first time, Jen Lancaster. Jen, welcome to Madame Perry's Salon. Hi, thank you so much for having me. That was a that was a great intro. And now I'm I'm afraid that what if I'm not funny and everyone's like, well, what happened? <laughs> no, 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 no. They won't. They know JP wouldn't lie to them about something like that. <laughs> I think it's just your nature because you're just you know I, I'm sure all your friends probably tell you this. You know, you're the perfect best friend and and perfect woman. You're beautiful. You're intelligent, highly intelligent. Uh, you've got a fabulous sense of humor fabulous sense of style i mean your man fletch he's a pretty lucky dude i tell him that all the time and the more i tell him the less he believes me honestly i know the feeling i do the same thing <laughs> you know some women <laughs> wouldn't do the things i do for you uh but anyway so you, congratulations on your new book welcome to the united states of anxiety observations from a reforming neurotic this book is Fresh and it's hot and um, tell us about it and why you started to write this one, please. I am delighted. This is this is I think my favorite thing that I have ever written. Now I started off in memoir. Um, I got my start by complaining on the internet because my life was not going the way I thought it should be going, and that turned into that turned into a blog, that turned into a memoir, and I have written a string of memoirs that over the last five to seven years have mostly become stories about me getting drunk in a pool because things have gone well, but this is not the time to talk about getting drunk in a pool. In the times we live in, I thought I need to contribute more than just a, a terrible story about homemade mojitos. I needed to do more. So this is still my observation. It's my sense of humor. But this is the first time I've ever actually put research into a book. So I spent about a year and a half doing research on this book. And the, the premise is, it's, it's, it's nonfiction, but the premise is the world feels like a very scary place right now. But we're not without hope. So I structured the book by going through Maslow's hierarchy and looking at every level of Maslow's hierarchy about where we don't really need to worry so much. And it, it you know, it starts off at the base level where I, uh, I talk about clothing, food, shelter. Uh, there's a whole chapter on the avocado and how it has arrived in America, like an Escalade full of Jenners at the Met ball. I mean, it's a thing now. So it's, it's really a, 
it's a way to help me. It was a way to help me work through all of the things that were making me anxious. And this all came about because about three years ago, I went into the backyard with a pool. There were drinks. And for the first time, I ran into a snake in my backyard. There was a lot of screaming. There was a lot because snakes are one of my, uh, you know, top five scariest things. So I thought I have a couple of choices here. I can burn the house down. I can move or I can do some research on this thing to figure out if it's okay for me ever to go into the backyard again. And it turns out here in Northern Illinois, the snakes are fine. They serve a purpose. They're really good for my garden. They're good for my roses. They, they kind of keep the rabbits away. They're a good thing. So I thought, well, if I've been able to get past one thing that makes me anxious and has kind of kept me stuck, stuff what else is there so that's really how this book was born and i have since um named the snake hissy he has a family there's there's a lot of them now occasionally i still scream but we peacefully coexist now oh that's 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 good did you ever think that would happen of all the things you never thought would happen uh One is the size of a garden hose, though. I mean, it's because I feed – here's the thing. In my universe, everything gets fed. Uh, I mean, I feed the squirrels every day. I feed the birds every day. This, in turn, brings um, the raccoons at night. I think that there are also coyotes in our yard. So everything is prey. I mean, I I have set up the world's best buffet for every predator. Sweet. (laughs) Well, I, I don't know. I have this. I have this feeling that we will all be held to account by our maker by how we treat animals, and so I think that you're you're you've aced that already. Oh, I'll be in first class then. <laughs> okay. And uh, okay. And and welcome to the United States of Anxiety, which USA. Um, there was a point where you're talking in the beginning about how lives are more stressful than ever, and you say, you know, I'd, I'd give anything to go back to the innocence and ease of my 1970s childhood, despite growing up in the golden age of serial killers. I mean, <laughs> the 70s felt like the safest time ever. I I lived uh, about a mile from school, and I had to walk back and forth twice a day because I would go home for lunch, and I would perpetually cut through the woods i can't imagine a kid walking you know five miles a day through the woods unscathed at this point but actually the thing is with crime right now even though it feels like end of days crime rates are much much lower things are actually much safer and that's not something i i understood until i really did the research which is a a whole chapter in this book and you've done a lot of research in this book. I mean, you've got a lot of citations. You didn't just you didn't just put these things down. You did check everything out, um, beautifully. And yep. so, talk talk to us about how as um, I, I know you started off going through the anxiety people have and their basic needs being met with with what the, the what the lowest level is what food, clothing, and shelter and food, clothing, shelter. I said Wi-Fi. I don't really think that Maslow. <laughs> said that but i think he would have if he lived today i mean especially like if you can't get on a zoom call you don't have a job exactly exactly that's true so uh well yeah that is a the thing now it's like a phone or something so yeah well the thing that has changed so much and i think the thing that is putting so much more pressure on us 
has been the the advent of social media. Because before you just had to worry about yourself, and once you got into your house, you didn't really think of anyone else. Now images of how everybody else is living better than you in every way are everywhere. I mean, think of all the people you follow on Facebook that you kind of hate. And oh, yeah. you don't celebrate their victories. Nah. That's just that's just putting undue stress on ourselves, I think. Oh yeah. I don't want to see their nice fancy decks when mine's out there so I've still got the shingles from where I threw them off last summer off the top of the roof while I was doing the re roofing. Um and yet they've got a oh, nice no, I see that. everything of furniture. Well, especially with, with the I don't know what the whole pandemic hitting um, why that meant that we didn't need to clean our house anymore, but we didn't have anybody in our house for six whole months until, uh, until one of the toilets started to leak. And we had to get our house ready for just another human being to walk through it. I did not know that we had started to live like bears, but in fact we had. So I think maybe I should have had a little bit more pressure on me to, to maintain things because it was bad. I don't know. My husband, my husband got a job again, and he's working from home. And he comes back at like twelve thirty every day. What's what's for lunch? <laughs> I don't know. Yeah. Like, yeah, he wants to be on a schedule or something. That's so weird. Um, but yeah, that's pretty odd. Um, in fact, I've even saw a comment on I think on Twitter it says after this is all over, will bras even be a thing anymore? <laughs> See, I, there are some things that I do to to keep myself. I mean, t- from going completely feral, I still do. I still do makeup every day. Uh, you know, my hair is still washed. Like personally, I'm fine. Personally, I could go out in the world, but just I I couldn't let people into my world. Hmm. Yeah, I think we've. Um, yeah, I think I think I think we're all together in that right now. You know, it's like oh, we'll put on something new today. Um, you get but to where you know pants, the neighbors walking their dogs by what they're wearing, not the dog. So, oh, go ahead. I'm sorry. Yeah. Oh no, real pants are going to be an issue. It's it because I don't know anybody who hasn't gained the COVID-19. So I I just I started to try things on a couple of weeks ago, and I thought, oh, this is. I mean, I'm I'm so proud of myself for losing weight, and I found it. No, it's back. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. I think you're doing good. And then all of a sudden you get ready to go to the doctor or something. And I had a doctor, and then I went to put on clothes. I'm like, damn, they shrunk in the drawer. So I don't know what that's yeah. all about. But, uh, <laughs> but yeah, that's what happened. <laughs> I don't know. Um, so as, you, as you're going up the um, Maslow's hierarchy, I know, though, i got to say there's this one thing in the book where you're talking about. There's a couple things I definitely want to I want to hear from you. One is about um, influencers. Oh, my God, you nailed it, nailed it, nailed it, every description about that. Uh, But also working, uh, going to Second City and taking classes there. Um, I'm dying to hear more about that or tell us about it, please. Oh, going to Second City is probably the best thing that I have ever done in my life. And this all came about because um, my best friend and I, we had a podcast a couple years ago and we just, you know, we didn't keep it going because, you know, life gets in the way. And if you're not committed, Mm -hmm. things happen. But so um, she had, she had gone through the whole Second City, a lot of courses years before and was better for it. And she said, we should take a stand-up class, because I think that will make our podcast better. And I said, 
okay. And I didn't actually expect us to commit to it, but we did. Um, we started these classes and I, I was suddenly exposed to all sorts of people that I, that I'd not met before or hadn't run into in, in 10 years in the suburbs, uh, you know, people, different, different religions, different ages, different, everybody that came from a different worldview than me and listening to them made me understand just how narrow my world had become up here in the suburbs and just how much things had changed in, well, in comedy and in the world. And it made me stop and it made me listen and it made me reconsider everything. And my thought going into it was, well, I'll go and I'll do this experience and I'll do what I always do, which is not really commit to it, um, you know, sort of hang around, hang around on the periphery and then find ways to make fun of all of it. And it turns out that didn't happen at all because I fell in love with every single one of these people and I will fight anyone who's going to be mean to them. I will not let anybody say anything about anyone in any of my classes. So I went through the, the whole um, stand-up comedy program and then I got involved in the screenwriting program. And it, I mean, I haven't, how do I say this without sounding like a jerk? I haven't had anyone tell me no in a really long time. Um, but there's something very humbling about sitting across the table from a 25-year-old who is, you know, absolutely same level as me saying, here's why your scene doesn't work, and having them be right. It, it made me stop and take stock and really understand how to listen. And I think more than anything, Second City taught me to listen and taught me to really value other people's experience. And that, I mean, that has changed, that it's changed everything about me and I, and for the better, because usually when people change, it's, it's, it's not for the better, but I feel like I am changed for the better. So in writing this book, I wanted to put out something that people enjoyed and, and thought was funny, but also really found useful. Yeah, I like that part where, yeah, where you're talking about the different people in the class. I think of Sammy and Andre and all the other folks in there and their their image and their look and their style and how, um, yeah, like you said, you all become tight and you appreciate them and not it, just as characters but for their individuality. Well, I mean, for example, Andre, um, this was this really opened my eyes on the first day that we were all in class together because my friend Gina and I went to a different class one day. It, that, that doesn't matter. But it was the first time I met Andre and he is, uh, he is a black gay man and he came sailing into the room in a Harvard sweatshirt and our instructor was talking about like what you look like on stage, you, uh, how it's important to, if there's something different about you if you're in a cast you immediately have to address to the audience that yeah i know i'm in a cast make a joke about it because otherwise it makes people uncomfortable and that's why you see so many comics defaulting to you know the jeans and the converse and the old t-shirt because that's sort of the uniform that you expect so andre came sailing in in this harvard sweatshirt and our instructor aaron said well look at this guy. So here's something that you know about him now because he's wearing a Harvard sweatshirt. And Andre said, oh, you know, no, girl, I didn't go to Harvard. I just wear this sweatshirt so white people aren't afraid of me. 
And it was one of the best lines I have ever heard anybody say. I barked with laughter, but then that made me stop and think, like, breaks my heart that somebody has to do that so other people aren't afraid of him. That really gave me pause. And as I got to know him more, I mean, I got to know his story. And again, Andre is someone I will fight to to the death for. Yeah, yeah. And, uh, that's uh, that was a great scene because I remember earlier I was, talk- I was I was telling my husband about it while we were walking the dogs about the scene about the whole thing about the image yeah because we talk about uh, friends of ours uh, people of color who would, maybe their sons are tall or big guys you know but they're very gentle very sweet and we don't want them to be uh, be mis- misunderstood you know and exactly bad happen. Uh, so I'm going to take a let's see a little. We're going to take about one minute to get a drink of water. I can make sure Fiona's not chewing her butt off, and uh, <laughs> be right back with Moisture That's a dog, right? Lancaster. Yeah, no, it's my mom. So Chuck, <laughs> talk to us about Fizdale being the Knicks' new coach. What's your uh, thoughts on that? Well, well, I, I tell you right now, Ernie, it don't matter who gonna coach this team. They don't got no talent on they it, and I don't. I don't really feel I talk That's as true. I don't feel I talk about the Knicks right Do now. Do you want to talk about lunch? No. <laughs> what would you like to talk about, Chuck? See, Ernie, I've been listening to a podcast called Madame Perry Salon. And I think Jennifer Perry, she's a great host. I mean, she got all these bestseller authors, Rostar, all the dip comedians. What about people you that could, don't have rings? Here we go. Again. I got Real funny, Chuck. Real funny. <laughs> but I think she's great. And I think people would love her show. She got a great laugh. She make the laugh come out of nowhere, like an eagle come in there and just steal the whole show. It's 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 a beautiful thing. It's not terrible. You see, Jen Lancaster, that that is my standard. If, if people say it's not terrible, I think I've I've, I've done okay. <laughs> So, all right. So, again, I'm here with the fabulous Jen Lancaster, and her brand new book is called The United States of Anxiety. Oh, welcome to the United States of Anxiety, Observations from a Reforming Neurotic, uh, New York Times bestselling author Jen Jen Lancaster. I love how your books all have subtitles, like you've got a title, and then you've got the, you know, but this is the inside story. This is what you can expect. Um, like the uh, Bitter is the New Black, Confessions of a Condescending, Egomaniacal, Self-Centered Smartass, or Why You Should Never Carry a Prada Bag to the Unemployment Office. Well, what's or, funny about uh, the, the subtitles is that wasn't anything we had ever planned. Uh, the book sold, but we – the book – here's something that I didn't know about writing books, that when you write nonfiction, you can sell a book before you write a book. The downside is you don't, you don't actually have to write the book if you want them to give you any money, but oh. you can sell it just based on a concept and some sample chapters. So I knew what the book was going to be about. I knew, I mean, I, I understood how it was going to end. I had, I had all of that, but we didn't have a title. We didn't have a title for a good six months. So I thrown out all of these different suggestions and they like all of the, you know, egomaniacal, condescending, et cetera. And then when I finally came up with the title bidder is the new black, my editor thought that all of the different subtitles were so funny that we could just put them together. 
So that sort of became my thing. Now, what is unfortunate is about two years later, Piper Kerman came out with Orange is the New Black, and I still get letters, people asking me, when do you go to prison in this book? When did that happen? But mine was first. But, and I was, let me tell you, I was not happy when that book was announced with that title, and then I read it, and I thought, well, this is one of the best things I've ever read, and I can't think of a more perfect title, so I, I had to let that go. And also, I don't mind if, if people want to buy a book because they think that I, I had a girlfriend and then I went to jail. Okay. <laughs> I, you know, maybe I'll win them over. <laughs> okay. But then once you um... – I should have known this would happen. I just laugh until I cough um, with you. But then, no, 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 no. That's what I love. Uh, but then we Good. come to expect that, you know, and then they, it just kind of tips us off and excites us. Uh, now, looking at on your website, the uh, Jen Lancaster, The Tao of Martha, uh, My Year of Living, or Why I'm Never Getting All That Glitter Off of the Dog. But it also made me think about, one of the books where you were talking about Fletch, your husband getting into uh, cooking shows of Rachel Ray. Oh yeah, I think I think I talked about that most in Bright Lights, Big Ass. Um, yeah. He's actually he's actually cooking right now. Um, he's gotten a lot better. He has gotten a lot better, uh, and he still does watch Rachel Ray. I mean, every day it's on while he's working. <laughs> he had all the things, the GB, all her lingo, and her. Uh, oh yeah, uh, abbreviations, initials, and uh, I gotta admit, I use I use this uh, uh, ex- this 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 moniker you created, Miss Titter McHighbeams. I just always loved that. So, <laughs> <laughs> so have you well, met Rachel you're Ray? On TV, I have not. I have not. I've, I've actually gotten to meet like some cool people. Uh, one of the, the coolest people I got to meet was Oprah, I, because I was on her show for animal rescue but here's the thing nobody knew about it because when you are on oprah's show you have to sign such an like an airtight non-disclosure that i didn't even tell people on my website afterwards until years later and i had people like calling me that day saying what are you doing on oprah and i was i was on um she had this like short lived it it was not an experiment that worked but she was having people (laughs) skype in like back um, you know, maybe 12, this was maybe 12 years ago before, I mean, before this was a thing at all. And ours was the very first episode that she was doing. And the producers were like, you know, if you just want to just jump in, just jump in and interrupt Oprah. And I said, I'm not, I'm not ever jumping in and interrupting Oprah. That's, that's not how you win people over. So I met her virtually uh, through doing her show and because it was about dog rescue. I had my pit bull Maisie next to me the whole time. It was great. Um, I charmed Oprah. I made her laugh. And if you think that wasn't something on my bucket list, you would be wrong. But then it was funny about a year later, um, my, my publicist was in town because we were, we were putting together a, a book video and we went out to dinner and I literally ran smack into Oprah and we both look at each other like, Hey, I know you. And <laughs> I don't know if that was the best moment of my life or the worst. It's just the narcissism that like, oh, of course she recognizes me. 
And, you know, I'm sure for anybody, writers, actors, uh, music, a lot of people, you know, being on Oprah would be like the holy grail of, of getting sales. That's, that's your, your ticket in. Everybody yeah. wants that. I mean, I've had people try to approach but, me uh, to be their publicist oh, yeah, for their book the saying, I don't want to do all this stuff. I just want to be on NPR and Oprah. I go, yeah. Yeah, good luck. Uh-huh. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I know how hard your job is or has been as a publicist. It's, it's just not, it's not that easy. Oh, they also, yeah. the, the other, the, the best person, like the very best opportunity that's come from all of this is last year. Um, there's a, there's this big charity in Dallas called community partners. That's who I de- dedicated this book to. And every year they have this thing called the Chick Lit Lunch. And it started off with authors like me. And then every year it grew to, you know, bigger and bigger stars. I mean, because you start off with me and then you start, you have people like Katie Holmes. You know, we've we've gone up the ladder considerably. So, um, and I have a lot of friends down in Dallas and this organization has just been very nice to me. I know all the people that run it, they do amazing work. So Andy Cohen was going to be the the guest that year and I, I'm like, oh, I'm going down. This is this is it. I'm going to go down. And then the the organizer said, well, do you want to sit on stage with him for an hour and interview him? Well, yes, yes, I would. So, <laughs> so I got to hang out with him. I got to meet almost all of the Dallas housewives. It was the greatest thing that has ever happened to me in my entire life. Wow, you know, I included the picture of you and Andy Cohen together on the slideshow for this, for anybody that watches oh, on cool. Blog Talk Radio, because I had to put that picture in, because you just look so happy. I just look so cool on stage together. So I thought, okay, this picture's got to go in the slideshow. It, what is he like? Is he as really sweet as I hoped he would be? Hmm? He's a very mellow I mean, all of his energy goes into being on stage, but when he's not on stage, he is just a cool, polite, laid-back guy who is just – can you hear my dog drinking? Hi. Yeah. Just my, my dog is having a drink. It's, we're not in the bathroom. Um, but he is just as lovely as you can imagine. That's how lovely he is. But when he's in front of people, he gives them his, his all, and I have so much respect for him. Oh, that's good to know. When you like somebody, you, 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 know, you want to know that they're that, actually that nice. That is so Yeah. Good. I mean, he came, uh, no entourage, no handlers, no. He just showed up like, hey, what do you guys want me to do? It was, it was refreshing. Wow. <laughs> what have, what have who've been some of your favorite people that you've met with your celebrity? You know, sometimes it's, it's not, you know, it's not people that I've gotten to meet on TV or on radio. A few years ago, I was approached by a travel agency, and they said, would you ever want to do some like a fan event in some location well, yeah that that oh. sounds fun to me so i ended up doing a, a girls trip with readers to turks and caicos and there were 25 of us and we spent five days together in turks and caicos and i mean my obligation was you know you go to a lunch you do a dinner you do this you do that the obligation was not to become best friends with all of these people but that is what happened and um, right now, one of the best people I ever met is this girl named Lisa, who has become one of my closest friends just from going on this trip. Like every Friday night, a group of us get together and we do a Zoom call where we have a game night. 
So it was really great meeting Andy Cohen. It's been really great meeting some of the people that I've gotten to meet. But I would never be friends with Lisa if it hadn't been for this writing career. So it was I have met some phenomenal people and they don't all they don't all have credits to their name. I think that with the travel agency is really, really a clever idea because my thing with authors or musicians is that, as I call it, the unconventional tour. You know, go to unconventional places. Let me book you in a, um, you know, a gay bar or, um, you know, an art gallery or something that's uh, not where you'd expect to find them, a wellness center, something, a wine bar. And, um, well, people love when know, it's something, especially when it's something different. Yeah, yeah. And uh, I mean, I, I heard that I read that Charlie Wilson, drummer for the Gap Band and R&B singer, mm-hmm. uh, had his book event at a DMV. I forget what city, Detroit or somewhere. <laughs> Where else would you need something good to read but the DMV? You know, yep. what a great place! But um, but that's such a great idea. And you know what? And I see what you're saying. You know, it's 25 people, and, and you've got certain things to do. But I know, like you was. When I saw you at the Barnes and Noble in Buckhead in Atlanta, and that place was packed out, and still, when you signed, you took—I mean, that's a lot of people. You took time to say something to everybody or ask questions about where, who the book was going to, or whatever. Or with me, you said, "I said I love the book." You said, "Oh, were you laid off too?" I said, "Well, yeah. How did she know? You know, well, of course. You know." <laughs> I know this story. And you took time, as much as, you know, uh, with everybody to at least ask a question or say something and make people feel like you weren't just putting them through a line. And people, you just had that kind of warmth, even though there was a few hundred people. (laughs) Well, I want to connect with people. All I want to do is connect with people. And the fact that they showed up and came to this event and stood in line, I mean, I have never, ever, ever left an event where everybody didn't get their picture taken, where everybody didn't have a quick conversation, where everyone didn't have their book signed. I mean, I'm, I wouldn't and haven't and will never leave before, like, well, no, I'm only here for an hour and that's it. Because every single person there, I mean, they're the reasons that I have a career. I, I exist yes. because they exist. And I think your, I guess I call them your colleagues, appreciate and respect you too, because I believe that that time you said oh here are some nice i think it was flowers and balloons that emily giffen had sent that was for you yeah because i was such a fan of emily giffen's writing and for her to actually send something it was that was really special to me i mean that's the thing that that i really like about being a writer you can never have too many books so while i'm competitive with myself i'm not competitive with my peer group because I can walk into a bookstore and walk out with seven books. It's it's not, you know, Highlander. There can only be one. <laughs> yeah, for real. Yeah. Well, I feel that way about podcasting. You know, I've competed with other people. You can listen to all of them. We're not in competition with each other. We often promote each other. So, yeah, yeah, I can do that. Oh, podcasts are my favorite thing. I, I because you you form such a personal connection with the people who are listening to you. I mean, it's there's I don't know, I don't think that there's much more personal than podcasting. I mean, literally having someone else's voice in your ear saying the things that you think. It's it's again, one of my favorite favorite things. What are some of your favorite podcasts? 
I am on a deep dive right now in all things Bravo. Um, I haven't seen my, my good friend Stacy since, you know, since January because I'm also neurotic. So the, the, the first second that I heard about COVID, I'm like, okay, we're locked down. We were locked down a month before anybody else even knew about it because I'm, I'm panicky and neurotic. So my, my friend Stacy, who I talk about all things Bravo, I just I haven't seen her. And I'm not just going to call her and talk about Bravo. So not only do I watch all my Bravo shows, but I do I essentially Zapruder them by listening to Bitch Sesh, by listening to Watch What Crap Ends. Um, <laughs> for the below deck ones, I if there is a podcast about a Bravo show, I listen to it. <laughs> okay. It's like oh. I have I have a PhD in Bravo at this point. I also oh I'm Jim also Lancaster. a huge fan of murder podcasts. <gasps> yeah, are you a true crime fan? Were you before that? Or? Yes. Um, I didn't know I was a murderino until I started listening to my favorite murder. I love my favorite murder. I love I love the guys on True Crime Garage because they will do a deep dive. There was um like my the thing that got me into true crime was John Bonet. And I remember when that happened, just how shocking it was and how the idea of child beauty pageants was so shocking. And then, you know, fast forward 10 years and we're watching toddlers and tiaras and, and screaming oh. at the little girls for not wearing their flippers. I mean, so it's things have changed. But the true crime garage guys will spend seven hours on a subject. I mean, there was one when they did John Bonet, there were seven, I think, seven different episodes. And one was just one whole episode going word by word, line by line of the ransom note. Oh my God. I'm writing this down because I've never heard of True Crime Garage, so I'm writing this oh, down. Oh, they're here. good. They're good, uh, yeah. It's all it's these guys speculating while they drink beer in a garage. It's I I love them. Okay, that sounds good to me. I that sounds like some guys that just really yeah, I think I'm I'm gonna find that after we after we're through. Um yeah, I like to read because, and you know, nowadays, like if you're reading a true crime book, you can also now go stop and go on YouTube and see some of the court action going on. I've oh, right, a true right. Crime author song. Mm-hmm. And uh, in fact, I my also husband have a PhD has PhD in OJ. Oh, you do all things OJ. Oh yeah, yeah. Oh. I mean, that was one. I, I don't know. I think anything that came out of the '90s is is really like what hits home for me. Yeah. Okay, we're going to have to uh, ha- have a special uh, episode on, on that. So now I've got PhD material <laughs> coming in. I thought about maybe get Jeffrey Tubin or somebody like that. Um, but <laughs> that's, yeah, of course, once I ha- I've had a lot of true crime authors on. I once had M. William Phelps. I don't know if you've read him. He had a, had a couple of series on ID Channel. Oh, but no, what, uh, what, which ones has he covered? Well, there's, uh, um, he's had several books, but I think he had one of his ID shows where he's following somebody. He's trying to track down a killer on the ID Discovery, with Investigation Discovery Channel. And let's see if I can find it. But I know the, the time he called in, um, I had to, a couple of dogs fight, and then I had to push them out the door and one at them <laughs> like their feelings were hurt. And so then he stopped the whole show and was going, did I just hear a dog being hurt? Did I hear a dog being hurt? Oh. No, no everything's fine. He would not. Let it go. And I thought, is it because I'm in Atlanta? He thinks I'm broadcasting from Michael Vick's house? I don't know. But <laughs> he, just, he just wouldn't let it stop. Um, but, yeah. So um, 
wow, true crime. I know because people, people's real, it's like, it's like a bio or a memoir. People's real lives take twists and turns. That, you know, if you wrote it in fiction, your editor would probably say, oh, no, that's not believable. Oh, you can't do that. Rewrite this or whatever. But people will do the most bizarre things. Well, mm-hmm. they're, when they're trying to get rid of somebody. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the and, dis- disappearing, like disappearing girls are, are, that's one of my sweet spots too. Like that's because, I mean, I guess I, I identify it with so much of just being young and so dumb and thinking the world was a really great place where nothing bad ever happened. No, that's uh, oh yeah, that that's a uh, yeah, that that's a tough place. But yeah, the things that people will do. Of course, then again, on the other hand, with the, uh, we're talking about you know, since your book is United Welcome to the United States of Anxiety, and because of the COVID nineteen, there's a. Uh, cute couple called Vintage Blue I saw on YouTube and they do a version of the song Jolene, Dolly Parton's Jolene mm-hmm. where it's Jolene please come and get my man because they've been together so long <laughs> and in quarantine she says I'm digging a hole in the backyard in case things get bad please come and get him Jolene <laughs> I'm begging of you <laughs> please come take How my man How have you been handling quarantine? How have you been I mean because you're in I mean things are, things are open up but we don't do anything like in my house, we're still not going places and doing things because, again, paranoid. Yeah, same here. Um, and because, you know, I feel like, well, for one thing, with a podcast, I've got a lifeline to people. You know, and it's, like I said, right. usually with the social media or people calling in, I've had a lot of hurt feelings from my uh, niece and and her, you know, son because I won't come out and go to pool parties with a bunch of people or something. But I have to, you know, my brother told her, it's just like, she's not trying to hurt your feelings. She's just, this is a serious, you know, this is a serious thing. So, yeah, but as far as, um, that's how I've been. I have a, I'm glad to hear that you are staying safe. I have, one of the things I'm doing, I guess, to keep myself sane. I mean, I, I try not to be on social media that much because that's just, I mean, especially at, at this time of year where we are in the world, uh, there, there are too many algorithms that are pushing too many things at me that want me to react in a way that is angry. So I, I try to avoid it. But I will go through, uh, like my personal Facebook page, I have 200 friends. They're every single person I have met in life I know. I mean, I got rid of everybody on my personal page that I didn't know because I thought I just, I just can't. But a lot of people that I know are doing a lot of dumb things right now. So I started um, my COVID list. I have a little notebook because I'm not going to say something mean to them. I'm not going to get into a fight with them. I'm not going to question their decision to go maskless to a 300 person wedding, but I am going to write their name down and where they live. And then when they get COVID, I'm going to be in my head. I told you so right now I would be very concerned about Indiana and Florida. If people in my timeline are any indication. Uh-huh, uh-huh. Yeah, and then too, you're right about with algorithms and news. For one thing, I'll take a I'll take a two or three day break from the news, and just tell my husband, okay, if anything really important that affects me happens, let me know. But otherwise, and then you come back on, and there's anything from you know, uh, murder hornets, brain, uh, 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 demon sperm, alien babies, and uh, brain eating amoeba, and I think, okay, well, I'll skip the news now. And, and the other the other nightmare not the, quite the same about algorithms is that sometimes you're going through looking maybe eBay or shopping, you see something and you keep and you think, what 
could that dress possibly look like? You know, the shoes as ugly as they are in the little tiny picture, and then you click on it, <laughs> and then they follow you everywhere on every oh, social yeah. thing you're on. Those things follow you. You looked at this. Do you still want this? Are you interested in this? There's a couple things, though. Uh, one other thing I wanted to ask you about is in the book you mentioned, and um, God, it's such a good book, What Could Be the United States of Anxiety? about screenwriting mm-hmm. and as you said earlier you know you, you were um studying that also second city so yes tell us because that makes me feel like you've got something else for us you've got something for us to live for jen lancaster I have had a couple things that have gone places but then just didn't come to fruition it's Hollywood is, this is, it is very difficult to break into because there are so many factors that don't have anything to do with talent or drive. Mm. Um, For example, I have, I mean, I have, I have Hollywood representation. Like here's one thing. I had a screenplay that went, or it was going to be a TV series that went really far. It went really far. I was with a producer with, who, who was with the, who represented a famous actress. I never got to meet the actress, but they were, they were behind it and they met with the execs at ABC on the day that the bachelor in paradise scandal broke. And because that was, you know, the, one of the crown jewels in their franchise and they didn't know what was going to happen because this was, um, you know, somebody was accused of sexual assault in a hot tub. It didn't, it actually worked out okay for everybody that was involved, but the person it didn't work out okay for was me because I had mm. put nine months of work into something that some exec just said, no, we're not interested in that. That's not something we do because they were having a bad day because of the Bachelor in Paradise scandal. That's a little bit devastating. And um, I go out about once a year for meetings, and I don't know, I think it was last year, I was meeting with a woman who has done many, many shows that you know and we were we were having a breakfast meeting and we were talking about a reboot of a very popular show and she said oh i have the craziest story of how i found this writer and this writer um went to went to a very exclusive private school high school in new york and she was just a regular kid there on scholarship she was smart and she went to a house party and someone left a pair of gucci shoes there the girl's like, well, I'm going to take these shoes. Nobody else is going to claim them. So she started wearing them around town. This is back when Gawker was big. Gawker picked up on this. They decided that she was an it girl. They began to follow her, and she became a little bit famous in, in the gossip pages in New York. And her telling this producer this story is why this producer's like, oh, you should, you should do the rewrite for this show. She'd never – She'd never written anything, so she got the job because she had this story. And if you think that didn't make me want to kick a hole through the wall, you are mistaken. Oh, so yeah. it is. It's a strange place. It's a strange place. It is. It is hard to sell things there. I have a lot of things in the work. I just I keep plugging away. Something's going to work, and and then we'll see. But, but no, nothing like- nothing huge to announce right now. But you are working on some things. You said you've got several, some scripts in, in, a, in at least three different genres. Yes. Yes. And, uh, I have um, a couple of action-adventure scripts. I have a few com- – I, 
I mean, I have, these things are, are plug and play. So I think once I finally get in front of the right person, once I can actually start going to meetings again, I am confident that something will happen, but it will probably happen in a stupid way, not because I have a good meeting, but because I sit next to somebody on a plane. Yes. Because that's how it works. That's yeah. That's you're right. That's the way. Because that yeah. When I read that story in your book, I thought, oh come on, God Almighty, the shoes really? Yeah. <laughs> Could somebody? Whereas other people, there are people you know, you know, and I know, and including you, that have worked hard, that have stories, that know what they're doing, they just need that break, and uh, it's gonna happen. Um, what about acting? For you. Oh, that that is not. I I I am old and fat and not interested in seeing myself on camera. That is no. <laughs> That's a big no. You know when you talk about like Oprah and the and the non-disclosure agreements and all that, and I have I've had signed so many the last few years in Atlanta working on Stranger Things and Star Girl, and um, I've worked all the daytime. I've worked all the court shows. Like it just in the audience though. Oh, how I'll tell fun. you one thing. Oh, I love them. But sometimes you come out, if you've done a, whole, like a, a full day of like 10, whether divorce court or fraternity court or couples court, sometimes, though, you'll, you'll walk out. And the judges, if you like them on TV, they're even sweeter in person. They really are. The Cutlers, all of them, Lauren Lake, Judge Toller. Oh, neat. They're sweet as they can be. And in between, they'll sometimes tell us jokes and talk to us. They're very nice. But sometimes, though, you'll come out of there and you'll think, forget global warming. We're not worth saving, you know, after you've done like <laughs> 10 in a row. You don't care. But it's like, and, and I was telling Michael DeBar, because he was talking about TV and the disguises. I said, well, I don't know, because first when I worked the week on uh, Stranger Things, it was the 4th of July carnival thing. It's summertime. Mm-hmm. It's supposed to be 4th of July. But we're shooting it at late October when it's overnight, when it's 25 degrees, and we're all in summer clothes. And, of course, I've signed an NDA, so I can't explain why suddenly I've got the hair of, of Harpo Marx, except <laughs> when people ask me, what did you? I go, oh, I lost a bet with my niece or something, you know, and I had to do my hair like this. So you can't tell people, but you have to keep providing pictures every other week to prove you still got that hair. Said, and then it was so cold. I had on a dress, but I said, you know, Michael, every day I started, like, adding things on underneath, like a – um, a thermal shirt and yoga pants or long underwear, and I'd have to pull the sleeves up under my short sleeves and pull the <laughs> pants up. And then when I finally got my picture of me in, in the intro going in, the first one when I'm going in with a um, a child that's supposed to be mine, um, mm-hmm. they assign it to you. I don't just take one that's unattended, you know. But <laughs> I said I walked in, and I said, I, you know, I'm so chunky because I've got all this stuff underneath me. And Michael goes, oh, I would never do that. I'm way too vain. I wouldn't do that. I said, look, I had I had teenagers. Okay, you know how the clothes were in the seventies and eighties, Jen. Oh yeah. There were some teenagers. Like I felt so sorry for these little like little boys, like except eighteen, and they've got on the tank tops and the Tom Selleck shorts, and and the knee socks with stripes and shoes, and they're just shivering. And they said, did people really dress like this back then? I said, honey, yes, of course. That's why they had club drugs become popular because how else would a guy dress <laughs> like you get laid? If you wore shorts like that now, you would end up on a sexual predator list. I mean, if you, if, if the, if the, you would. I mean, because they were just, they left nothing to the imagination. But, I mean, I guess they balanced out because of the tube socks that everyone wore up to their knees. Yeah, those were, uh-huh, that's right. What, what fashions would you, I mean, you're, 
You always look good. You dress well. Even if you've got, like, on the, on the copy of the Tower of Martha I'm looking at here, you look ready to do your own cooking show, even though the cake is a little um, structurally compromised. <laughs> I see. A little bit. <laughs> you still look at the camera smiling and on in it. Um, what fashions would you I like to see come back? Oh, go ahead. What are you? Oh, to? I'm. Uh, well, I dress. I dress very nicely when I have to leave the house if someone is going to see me. Inside the house, entirely different story. I have worn the same two pair of track pants now for six months. I mean, I, I alternate them so so they can eventually get washed. But <laughs> yeah, it. We're not putting on a show for anybody inside the house. I mean, my big thing when I was a little girl, and the thing that I loved more than anything is my mom sewed a lot of my co- a lot of my clothing, and she was cheap. So if there was a scrap of something left over, it would be made into something else. And what it would normally be made into was a cape. So I was a little girl who always had little skirts and little capes that matched. There's nothing in the world that would make me feel fancier than a cape today. That's why I think I'm obsessed with, with ponchos and like, like Ruanas now because they just they trail behind you and they're dramatic. Uh, open kimonos I love. I love all of those things. So I would like to see those make more of a comeback right now. Oh, yeah. That's, that's a good idea. Maybe even a reversible poncho. I don't know. Um, oh, yes, yes. So, yeah, you get a little more mileage out of it. Have you ever watched uh, Noel Fielding and the Mighty Boosh? No, I don't know what that is. Oh, honey, I'm going to have to send you something about that. But, yeah, he did, like, one of the early episodes where there was zookeeper, you know, Noel Fielding, the, com- the British comedian. And I think he's yeah, been yeah, uh, yeah, judge on, on the uh, baking show. Yeah, there's a thing where yes. he's trying to tell his partner all about how a poncho makes a statement and 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 makes your life good, makes you energized, you know. So uh, yeah, I'll have <laughs> you to can't be unhappy in a poncho. No, that's what he says. So uh, yeah, it's true. And then if I then if I send you your uh, Madame Perry uh, lightsabers, then you know you'll have that for something different too. Outstanding. Okay, good. Well, listen, I I've already kept you longer than I than I said I would, and I didn't realize it. Jen Lancaster, much, much, much success. Welcome to the United States of Anxiety, Observations from a Reforming Neurotic, New York Times bestselling author, and you're the person we all, it, in our minds, you're everybody's, you're all of our best friend. Um, oh, thank you. I think you're fabulous, and does anything, you come on back to Madame Perry Salon, and we'll have a party, let people call. And uh, That'll be fun. Great. Thank you so much. Scratch the dogs for me. Um, heck, scratch flesh <laughs> for me, too. Um, thank you so very much for much success and everything. Same.